Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, it says in the Gemara that all beginnings are difficult. And um, the question is, why, why is that in the plural? It, it should be to, uh, to begin is difficult. It's hard to start. You know, I, I, was, with my, I was with my kids and, and my, my sister-in-law, like, not so long ago. And one of the kids was talking about this homework assignment and fretting over it. And she said, just begin. Just start. Starting is the hardest part. And it's, it's really true because so much we just, there's so much resistance. By the way, if you want to, if you want to, bless you, if you want a, a great book about combating procrastination, it's, um, it's called The War of Art. The War of Art. And it's, it's my favorite combination of things. It's short and it's clear and it's deep. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's, and it's all about um, battling uh, that procrastination uh, tendency that, that, that we all have in, in different degrees. But this is a super good book. Very few words on the page, and they're all in a large font. So really, it's like, it really is the, the ultimate <laughs> collection. Uh, Steve Pressman, I believe. Yeah. So um, it's a it's it's a, it's sort of a, a classic in certain circles. I, I've recommended it to a lot of people, and they've really benefited from it. But anyway, so 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 a lot of it is just you just start, and then and then once you start, and then that gathers its own momentum. I, I once heard um, uh, from Rev, uh, Rev Noach uh, Weinberg, Olav uh the founder of Asha Torah, that. One of, one of the tricks that you can kind of use with yourself is you can say, just, I'll just do it for five minutes, right? So you, by, by saying that to yourself, you remove all pressure and expectations that you're even going to accomplish anything. And then a lot of times what will happen is once you start, you get into a groove and then it becomes much easier. But it's all the mental stuff that kind of weighs on you beforehand that often stops you from just beginning. Um, so, so anyway, but let's get back to this, uh, this, this uh, secret, really, that the Gomorrah is teaching us. It's telling us all beginnings in the plural are, are difficult. So, so based on everything we've been saying up until now, we should rephrase that. We should say, oh, the Gomorrah, there's a typo in the Gomorrah. What they really meant to say was to begin is difficult. And, and we know that's true. But that's not what it says, and it's not a typo, obviously. It says all beginnings are difficult. So again, why? So I, I wish I could tell you in whose name this was, but, but I heard someone say something that's really stayed with me, which is that all beginnings are difficult because so many times when you start a project, you have to begin and then begin again and begin again and begin again and begin again. In other words, it's, we encounter, let's use the word failure. I mean, that might be too... Uh, too harsh a word, but it's not inaccurate. And we hit a wall. We hit a wall, and then, and then all beginnings are difficult because not only is it hard to actually launch something, but then it becomes very hard to actually try again in the face of failure. So, so then, then the beginnings, the subsequent efforts afterwards become that much more harder. So again, now you can really see how much wisdom is in this phrase, all beginnings are difficult, because it requires two things now. One is to, um, 
to have the courage to begin again, and then also just even to have begun at all. Right? There's a, there's a, there's a lot in it. And um, so, so I want to continue with this thought and go deeper. You see, why is it that we're encountering, you know, blocks so many times? And there's a thousand different reasons. Let me just go down one particular path, which is a lot of times we're, we're making the same mistake over and over again. And I, I learned from, from uh, someone who, who studied all the great tycoons in the, in, the, in the industrial age, the beginning of the 1900s. He was studying their, 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 how they did their job and was trying to sort of like um, cull all the secrets of the great tycoons in terms of how they approached projects. And one of the things that he came away from, came away with was that if you can, there's, if you can, learn a lesson from a past defeat and apply it moving forward, then you have created victory from defeat. In other words, if you can figure out what it is that you did wrong and now in your future efforts enact that new approach, that new lesson, do right what you did wrong, then you can turn your previous failure into a victory. And if you have that attitude going to, through life, then you can never fail. Whatever you do, even if it doesn't work out, you'll never ever fail because you're always learning a lesson from it and you're always turning it into a victory. So th- this is a very positive, positive thing. Um, but let's, let's go deeper still. A lot of times a person is going to make variations of the same mistake and they'll never make a, a thorough enough change because they themselves will never have insight, sufficient insight into their own process. Um, there is a, a, a whole incident that's in the Gomorrah about how a person can't really take themselves out of jail, that they need someone else. It's a long story, but that's kind of the bottom line of it. So oftentimes we need, we need help from the outside. We need good outside advice from someone. Um, someone talked to me recently. They were having uh, you know, struggles with, um, with their income, with, with their parnasa, making, making you know, money. And, um, and this person was a, it's a very, very good person, very sincere, very dedicated person. And he said, you know, I'm doing this segula and that segula and this segula and that segula. A segula is a kind of like a, a mystical kind of like, you know, kind of uh, approach, like certain prayers that you say or certain actions that you do and things like that. And I said back to him, I said, all that's good, because I know this person's very sincere. I said, all that's good, but are you doing as much effort in the revealed realms as you are in the hidden realms. In other words, are you, are you making the actual phone calls, right? Or are you doing the actual, what, what the secular wor- world would call normal work effort that you're doing in the sort of mystical realms? Because those things have to be balanced, right? You know, one of the things, this idea of making the same mistake over and over again, 
I can tell you from my own marriage, and I think this is very common in marriages, is a, a source of fighting between husband and wife often happens. And since I'm the man, I'll, I'll, I'll cast myself in that role here. So, so let's, say, uh, let's say your wife will express, but this will go either way, I guess. Let's say your wife will express a, a particular preference, like do this or don't do that, right? And then let's say I'll, you know, do the wrong thing. And then she'll get upset. And then I'll say, I'm sorry, I, di- I didn't mean to do that. And then I'll do what in her eyes is exactly the same thing wrong again. But in my eyes, I did something a little bit different. <laughs> it wasn't, I wasn't doing the same thing. Now, from her point of view, it was the same thing. From my point of view, it was not the same thing. I was being mindful of the past mistake and our conversation and my apology. And I was doing something different. Now, you know, and then she'll go, okay, okay, fine. And then I'll do the same thing again. But again, I've done something that I think is slightly different. So there's, what's happening there is basically a failure to communicate between two parties. Because the, the person who's the repeated offender, let's say me in this instance, I don't fully understand what it is that my wife is having a problem with. Because otherwise, I would hopefully be smart enough to understand that I'm just doing variations of the wrong thing. As opposed to this time, I'm doing the right thing. So that's a, that's a failure to communicate. But what I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to give as an example here, is, is that if a person tries to learn a lesson from past mistakes, and if they want to snatch victory from defeat by learning a lesson and then applying it moving forward, a lot of times it's difficult to do because sometimes you're just going to do variations of the wrong thing over and over again. So how do you get out of that trap? And the answer is you need good advice from someone. You need, you need counsel from someone. That's why psychologists are so good. Because psychologists can give you a very clear outside perspective. Or that's why someone who's wise and experienced is good. And I just want to say something about what... what what type of person can give that, that type of advice? So I once came up with a, a formula that goes like this. Intelligence plus experience equals wisdom. I'll say that again. Intelligence plus experience equals wisdom. See, what we don't want is intelligence or smarts. Smarts, it's okay. It's fun to be smart, but it will not carry the day. What you need is wisdom. (laughs) But what's the difference between intelligence or smarts and wisdom? They're two very different things. The difference is experience. You need to understand the world. You need to understand people. You need to understand how things work. If you actually understand the way the world works, then you can use your intelligence in a productive way. That's, that's what we're going to call wisdom right now. Okay? So, so my favorite example of, of the failure of intelligence or the, 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 the limitedness of intelligence is communism. Communism was 
a brilliant idea, intellectually. A brilliant, brilliant idea. Karl Marx looks at the world, says, wait a second. How is it that there's a few rich people and so many poor people? That's not fair. That's not fair. How is it that one person owns a factory and then you have so many factory workers? That's not fair. Ha! What if everyone who works in the factory owns the factory? This is fair. Let the workers own the product. This is the way it should be. This is justice. So you can even say, you can even extend it a little bit further because communism, especially in the early days, attracted a lot of Jewish people. And a lot of people even left yeshivas, great yeshivas, to become communists. Why? Because the Jewish people, and if you want to just sort of take an x-ray of the Jewish soul, the Jewish soul is very idealistic, extremely idealistic, and a little bit naive, too but that sometimes they go hand in hand. And also, very messianic-oriented. Remember, the whole idea of Mashiach, of the Messiah, this is 1,000% a Jewish concept. There are other religions, one in particular, that sort of like made it its entree, like its main course, right? But 1,000%, it came from Judaism. It's a Jewish idea. So the idea, what is that idea? What is Mashiach? See, we've, we're a little bit skewed in terms of our thinking when we, when, we, when we say Mashiach, because our mind goes to an individual. And it's much bigger than an individual. It happens to be there will some, be someone called Mashiach, who will be a descendant of King David, who will be a Jew and a great Torah scholar, and will usher the world into the next era. Oh, that's true. But when we're talking about Mashiach, we're really talking about something so much greater than an individual. Right? Can you imagine, like, every time I use the word Torah, if you only think of the life of Moshe? Like, every time I say Torah, do you, Torah is bigger than Moses. And nothing against Moses, God forbid. But Torah, literally, God makes the entire world out of the Torah. The entire world out of the Torah. It's much bigger than Moses. Moses brought it down, was the conduit of it. But Torah is giant. When we talk about Mashiach, that's giant. It's the whole next era of humanity, of civilization, of the world. Happens to be that there will be an individual who brings us into this next era. But it's much bigger than an individual. So, so we have this idea. That we need good advice. And we need an individual who's going to, to come to us and, and, and give us this good advice. And so, so what the problem with, with communism is, is that, or, or the attraction, why so many Jews were, were, were drawn toward communism, is because there was a messianic ideal in it. There was this idea of justice. Forget about, you know, just some mystical idea. We're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to transform all of society and we ourselves right now are going to take the power away from the wealthy people and we're going to spread it out and we're going to make it fair and this is going to be justice. So again, this is on the level of intellect. It sounds great. And what did it turn into? One of the most mass 
murderous concepts in human history where tens of millions of people were murdered for this idea. That one of the biggest disasters in all of history What happened was, so, so to supervise this grand project, a small group of people came and they became dictators and they murdered everyone beneath them, which was the entire country, for this great idea. So why am I going on and on about communism? Because, because let's get back to this idea. Intelligence plus experience equals wisdom. You don't just want intelligence. Communism is an idea of great intelligence, but it didn't correlate with anything in human history. The way God makes societies is he doesn't make everybody the same. This is one of the great things about the world, one of the genius aspects of God, so to speak, is that he makes this person a farmer, and this person a scientist, and this person a singer, and this person a teacher, and this person a butcher, and this person, you know, whatever it is, a shepherd. God makes everybody different. And the world is so much more complex than everybody is basically the same. See, on a deeper level, everybody really is the same. Why? Because we all have souls, we're all children of God, and we all have certain obligations to our maker. To that extent, all of us are exactly the same. No one is better than anybody else. Everybody is the same. That's true. Okay. But then it gets way more complex than that. (laughs) Because then, every single person, while on one level they're the same, everyone is completely different from the other person and has a different soul fixing from the other people. Right? So, you know, you look at me and I look at you and, you know, you've got a head, I've got a head, you've got arms, I've got arms, you've got legs, I've got legs, but you know what? You may as well be a chair and I may as well be a monkey. (laughs) We are different. (laughs) And God balances all these things together and he puts it all together and he makes a society and everyone's working together. And now let's get back to this idea of justice, though. You know... But how could it be that this person has money and this person doesn't have two cents to rub together? So then now we have to sort of like re-examine what is actual wealth? What is, what is wealth? So it says in Pirkei Avos, which is in the Talmud, it says that who is rich? It asks the question, what's the, like, wouldn't you like to know like the greatest rabbis in history, their definition of who is rich, of what wealth is? It's, one of the biggest things you can know in your whole life. The answer is whoever is happy with what they have is rich. And I can tell you there are a lot of people who have a lot of money and who are completely miserable. And there are a lot of people who have almost nothing and they're very happy. So which would you rather be? Who's the rich person? The happy person. So do you see how God has created people at all different, all combinations, all different levels socioeconomically, and yet wealth is equally available or equally not available, depending on how you approach your life, to absolutely everyone. Equal. 
equal. That's the real, that's the real wisdom. Not trying to take people, you know, and, and taking square pegs and literally chopping them into a round hole, which is what the other system was trying to do. So, so we're all different. We're all different, but we're all working together. And again, this is wisdom. This is wisdom. But let's return back to our original question, which is, how is it that you can take victory from defeat? How is it that you can learn a lesson and apply it moving forward? Because all beginnings are difficult. How is it that you can get a new approach moving forward? Especially when so many of us are trying again and again and basically just doing the same wrong thing again and again, just variations of the wrong thing. We think we're doing something different, but we don't have the advice from the outside to have the insight. So my next question is, why don't we have the insight? We should be smart enough to figure out what we did wrong, and then we can try something else. So now this gets very, very deep, I think, in my opinion. And it says, there's a a famous verse in the Torah, it says, and now what does God want from you? Only that you should fear God. Right? And that you should basically serve him with all of your heart. And so the rabbis say, wait a second. You make it sound like this is a small thing. You know, this is a very big thing. Why did, why did Moshe make it sound like it's a small thing? That was the rabbi's question. And then they came up with a great answer, a brilliant answer. They said, you know what, for Moshe it was a small thing. He says, oh, all you have to do is fear God. This is it. For Moshe, it was a small thing. That's why he wrote it that way. And then the Gemara goes on to give this example. And this is, this is a life changer, but you really have to think about it. Because it's the rabbis are so phenomenal. Because what they've done is, in the simplest example, they've revealed one of the deep, deepest psychological insights about human beings. You ready for this? The, 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 the language is stunning in its simplicity, okay? They say, well, well then, how, how do you, again, Moshe seems to be asking for this giant thing, like it's a small thing, and they say, yeah, for Moshe it was small. That's why it was phrased that way. What can it be compared to? Someone who has a small pot, all they have is a small pot, and they need a big pot. So they knock on someone's door, right? Bless you. They knock on someone's door and they say, do you have a big pot? And the guy says, yeah, yeah, I have a big pot. No problem. Here it is. That's the example they give. (laughs) Now I'm telling you that this is explaining one of the deepest things about what it is to be a human being. And and, let me explain it some more, okay? Let's, let's make the story a little bit more dramatic, okay? This person's got a small pot, and they've got to cook for an entire wedding. All right, I'm adding all these details, but, but, but all this is in the Gomorrah, believe me. I'm just trying to spell it out. They're in a panic. How am I going to cook for a thousand people with a small pot? I need a big pot. Where am I going to get a big pot? Who's got a big pot? So you knock on the door. 
Do you have a big pot? No, I haven't got a big pot. Do you have a big I haven't got a big pot. Who has it? I need a big pot. You knock on the door. Oh, yeah, no problem. I have a big pot. Here you go. Okay. So, okay, we're not there yet, but we're getting closer. <laughs> so now you realize this is a very big deal for the person who needs a big pot. But for the person who has the big pot, he just has a big pot. What's the big deal? You see, we have certain attributes and certain gifts. Every person has certain strengths. That's the way God made the world. It could be that your certain strength isn't going to make you much cash in the world. It could be you got one of those certain strengths. That's okay. But it could be that that certain strength is going to increase the amount of love in the world, which is going to speed the redemption of the world, which could end up being way more valuable and productive than someone who's got more cash than you, say, or figures out, oh, every time, you know, every time Trump says this, the market goes down. Every time he says this, the market goes up, and I'm off and running, and now I have a big house in Malibu. You know what I mean? It's sort of like there are certain people who have that gift, right? Certain people can sit in front of a blank piece of paper and write something that'll make you cry. Other people can sit in front of a keyboard and can start playing And all of a sudden, you're in a bad mood and you're dancing. I didn't think I'd be dancing. How did you do that? Just God gives out these gifts. He's got like a deck of gifts and he just gives them out, deals them out to different people. Different people have different gifts. But here's the thing. If you have a gift, and everyone's got gifts, if you have a gift and it's part of you and it's always been part of you, you don't recognize it as anything special. It could be because everyone stops you and tells you how great you are, that you, that you at least think, okay, at least they think it's special. But for you, it's always going to be normal. It's just going to be normal. And there's an excellent chance you're not going to especially appreciate it. An outsider will appreciate it. Or let me put it back into the language of the Gomorrah. Someone who only has a small pot who needs a big pot, will appreciate that you have a big pot. If you have a big pot, you've always had a big pot, so who cares? Here's my big pot. You need to use it. Here it is. So, so this is interesting. And like I say, this is a very, very big insight into just the human condition, which is that most of us will never really recognize our own specialness. Because it just seems normal. Now that's our commercial break. <laughs> See you in five minutes. Okay, who wants to buy some insurance? <laughs> okay, so... Um, yeah, so, so let, me, let, me, let me even go a little bit further, okay? You know, one of the big problems, and, uh, you know, I, I think the time to talk about this is not on Tisha B'Av. Usually we, once a year we talk about this, which is on Tisha B'Av, which is the idea of everyone's hating each other for no reason. What we call sinas chinam, Right? Like, why do you hate me? Oh, just because I do. Okay. 
thank you for delaying the redemption. You know, I mean, it's like, basically, basically we're told that Mashiach isn't coming because everyone's hating each other for no reason. So if there's something that we have to be working on, it's that. How can I stop hating people for no reason? And based on what we've been saying up until now, I want to apply it to this area because this is obviously a very important area. Here's a, here's a mistake that a lot of people make. Let's say I really want something. Again, we're getting back to the small pot, big pot thing, okay? Let's say I, I'm lacking in something and I need something. And then you have what I need. You've got a big pot. So now a lot of people will be, I hate you because you have a big pot and I need a big pot and I only have a small pot. So now I hate you. This is how, this is kind of like if you want to just drill down and get to the core of why people are hating each other, it's often for that reason. Because you have something that I need and you have it and I don't have it. So therefore I hate you. Okay. But do you, do you want to just think a little bit deeper for a moment? Do you know that the way God made the world, he gave us all different talents, like I said before, right? This one has this ability, and that one has that ability, and God puts them all together, and he makes a civilization, a society out of them. Well, guess what? As part of that process, God gave this person something, and the same exact person that he gave that thing to, he also denied that person something. In other words, when you look at someone and you go, well, I need this thing and he has that thing, you know what he also has? Something that he also needs. And you know what? He might need that thing more than you need the thing that he has. In other words, you look at the person and you go, oh, he's got that thing. So everything is right with him. And poor me. But the reality is, is that he might have that thing and he might have a need that's even greater than what your need is. Because there is no person who doesn't need something and isn't missing something. As Reb Shlomo said, this world is one... Remember, we, Judaism believes in reincarnation. We say that the, the way Reb Shlomo put it, this whole world is one big hospital clinic. Everyone is in need of a, of a certain healing, of a certain fixing. I, I, I shared with you yesterday, there's a, a line that I wrote for this, this TV series that I'm working on. I feel like I, I put everything I know into this one line of dialogue. You ready? Here, here it is. All of us are broken. The only question is how much and how far are we willing to go to fix it? So, if you want to actually live a decent life, I'm not even talking about an exalted life right now. I'm just talking about being a, 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 a mensch, a basic mensch. Your attitude should be that you have rachmanus, you have mercy, basically, for everyone that you're in contact with. 
Because if you, if you don't understand that every single person in this world is broken in a different way, then you're not living in reality. You're certainly not living in wisdom. You're certainly not living in wisdom. Because anyone who has any experience, which is the key element that transforms intelligence into wisdom, anyone who's got any experience, who's met enough people in the world and talked to enough people in the world, knows that every single person is broken. Every single person is missing something. Every person desires. You know what the Talmud says? Talmud says you, a person doesn't leave this world with half of their desires fulfilled. That's from the Talmud. If you, if you want proof of what I'm saying, the Talmud itself says it. That means everyone is walking around with things that they'd like to do or wish they could do that they haven't done yet. And am I ever going to be able to do it? And who knows? And that's not just you. That's every single person walking on the planet. So if you want to be a decent human being, since that's probably the core of every single person, if you want to get, if, they, if they're really going to share with you, like, you know something, what would you say? Imagine you, you meet someone and you have a really good talk with them and everything like that. But what is it, what is that little thing, that little X factor that turned that talk into something really genuinely different and special. So I'll, I'll speculate right now, and I'll suggest maybe, maybe, maybe it's because they shared something about themselves that was broken. And then all of a sudden you felt like, oh, you know something? This is not just, we're not just talking about the weather. We're not just bonding that we both like Taylor Swift, right? Like this is... Something more is going on here. Why? Because you sense intuitively that they showed you their core. And that's meaningful. That's meaningful. Okay, so let's just review. We said all, all beginnings are difficult. And, and why are all beginnings difficult? Because... So often you have to begin again and again. And how do you get the strength to begin again and again when you run into a wall? So a couple of things. One is that you have to, you have to understand that just begin. Just do it already, right? And I recommended that book to you. I'll recommend it again. It's called The, the Art. No, I'm sorry. The War of Art. It's a play on words of the art of war. It's The War of Art. Um... That's got a whole raft of advice of, of just how you can actually just sit down and begin. So that's number one. Number two is that you, you learn a lesson from a past mistake. And if you learn a lesson from a past mistake, you can turn a failure into a victory. That's very important. But if you're going to try again and again, you also have to figure out how not to be making the same mistake over and over again. Or isotopes of the same mistake, if you will. Right? Variations of the same mistake. And that often a person will never have insight into. And why will they never have insight into it? Because you've got a big pot and you don't think it's a big deal. <laughs> in other words, in other words, the nature of, of human consciousness 
is that you won't necessarily have complete insight into yourself because you think everything about yourself is normal and you don't know any other way. You don't know what it is to have a small pot. So when you have a big pot, it doesn't seem like a big deal. So, so, so one's level of insight regarding their own actions is inherently limited. And you need an outside perspective to say, well, wait a second, have you ever tried um, doing this? No, I never, I don't know. And let me ask you this. When you do this, do you still do that? Yes, I still, okay. All right, how about not doing that and starting to do this? Thank you. It never would have occurred to me. So we need good advice, but we need to get good advice not from smart people, from wise people. (laughs) Okay? You know, smart people, I'm sure they're good for something. (laughs) But we want wise people. That's what we want. And if 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 you're going to get a wise person... It's got to be someone who has a lot of experience because the world, you know, works in a certain way. And, and the only way you, you learn that is if you're around for a while. Um, and the other thing is just to understand that, um, that every person has needs. And that every person is, 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 is chasing after something that odds are they may never get in their life. Because that's just the way God made the world. Again, that's from the Talmud, that, that, um, that everyone leaves the world without half the things having been fulfilled. Right? So, so, so there's a brokenness. There's a brokenness, which is one of the essential inherent qualities of all of humanity. And it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. But if you want to be someone who's like a, a compassionate, real, deep person, then you have to look at everyone like, you know, we're all together in the same hospital clinic. <laughs> you know, we've all got just different variations of the same malady. And then all of a sudden, you can stop looking at other people with the eyes of you have and I don't and that's mine and somehow you have it right like Reb Shlomo one of the great pieces of wisdom from Reb Shlomo is a definition of jealousy jealousy is thinking you ready for this jealousy is thinking someone else has your portion see now this is not a rational thought this is not a rational thought but it's looking at someone else and say because I want that and you have it you ready for this? You took my thing. Do you hear that? Do you hear how deep that is? Very, very, very deep. Because it's not, it's not rational and it's not conscious. It's not rational and it's not conscious. But this is, how, this is how human beings connect the dots. I want that. You have it. I don't. You took my thing. Now you have a cause to hate the person. Because who is that person to take your thing? But guess what? It's not your thing. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> And you know what the proof is? The proof is if it was your thing, you would have it. <laughs> you see, but when we look at each other as just I'm broken and you're broken and we're all broken, then we have a spirit of forgiveness. You know what? 
you, ha- you have that, I'm in need of that, but I forgive you for having it. <laughs> it sounds strange that you have to be willing to forgive someone for having something that you want. But, but that's the way we're wired. But you'll be able to forgive other people for having things that you want if you understand that they're also broken. You know? So, Hashem should bless us. We should have the ability to, to begin again and to, and to never give up. To never give up. To never give up. To never give up. Um, I'll just end by saying I'm, I'm leaving for Poland, God willing. I mean, that's the plan anyway. This afternoon, in a few hours. And uh, right now what I'm saying is just words. Right now what I'm saying is just words. But after the trip, maybe what I'll be saying will be based more on experience than intellect. Which is that, uh, and I'm just saying this because I know it's true. I've read it in books. I see with my eyes that it's true. But I haven't felt it on the level that I can say it in the, in the way it should be said. But I'll say the words anyway. Because I know they're true. Which is that the Jewish people didn't give up. We got massacred on a historic level. It says a, a million babies were killed. There's, I, I read a, an account of a, of, a, of a German SS officer. They were leading children into, um, into a gas chamber. And one child like started to go in the wrong direction. And the German officer very kindly led them up the stairs into the gas chamber. We, we, I don't, I don't know how. Something, I don't know how, I don't know how. I don't know how the Jewish people just pick themselves up basically immediately. That's even more wondrous. I mean, forget about ever having recovered. I'm talking about basically immediately and just got back up and just started again. So you see it on a national level and, and that means that you have it in your, in your blood, you have it in your genes as well. This is a, a national trait that you never give up. You never give up. 